Hello, and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks. And I'm Lori Socks. And today we're joined by our good friend, Megan Price. Megan is a wife, mother, an actress, and one of the most authentic, honest people I've met. We first crossed paths on a Netflix show we both worked on called The Ranch. In this episode, we're honoring her Uncle Bill, who made an impact on this world in the simplest and best way possible, through love. And what I learned in this conversation and what I was reminded of is to choose my focus because the gifts that my child have are gifts that others can aspire to. And they're the ones that really have an impact on society, changing it always for the better through love. Welcome, Megan Price. Megan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, we're excited to talk about your uncle, and I've really wanted to have this conversation with you since you first mentioned him to me. Thank you so much for inviting me, because it isn't uh, often that I get to tell stories about him outside of my family, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Let's start out with you telling everyone a little bit about yourself. Okay. I grew up in Oklahoma. Um, I'm a reluctant actress. I tried to do everything besides being an actress. Um, went to school for other subjects and other things and, you know, tried to have a regular normal life. And I just didn't like that nobody was funny and that it didn't make me happy. Um, so I learned super young that, um, I guess like money and professional success did not make me happy. Therefore, the move to being an actor was not as scary because I knew I didn't really care about money or anybody knowing who I was. I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. Um, so I waited a lot of tables at Houston's and Louisa's <laughs> and um, have subsequently worked with people that came in and were nice to me or not nice to me. Um, and, and, and I don't know, I've been on TV for 20 years, which is pretty crazy. And my experience has been very little unemployment, shockingly, because um, I've, I've always uh, had the good fortune and the good sense to just choose sane, good people to work with. So I've gotten really lucky that I've ended up on series that went for a really long time, always with people that I love that are still like my family today. And I have a good friend who, who likes to call me up after any job I have and go, just retire. You've had enough good fortune. That's enough for you. Um, but I also think part of that is that I'm sane and I am not a crazy person to work with and I do my job well. And you know, I, I, I tend to be drawn to the people that don't show up in TMZ, you know, that don't show up like lunatics. Um, yeah, and I don't, I don't like to be on camera. I don't like to be photographed. I don't like to be the center of attention. I don't like anybody knowing who I am. So why in the hell did I choose my profession? I have no clue. I have a little girl. Um, yeah, by the way, that's why COVID quarantine has been actually great for me. I'm like, I'm, I'm fine being a dork at home with all the doors closed. I'm good. I like the mask, it's fun. Um, I have a daughter who is 13, holy moly and way too many animals. And in fact, we're on a waiting list for two more animals. I, it's, it's out of control here. 
and uh, and I'm married to somebody I had a crazy mad crush on when I was 15. So um, we have not been together since we were 15, but yes, I still think he's as cute as I did when I was in the ninth grade. So that's pretty good. Um, and that's that. And I'm so happy to join you because I do not want to talk about my career. I don't want to talk about politics. I don't want to talk about how my kid is faring during COVID, but you asked me to talk about my uncle Bill. I am here. Here he is. He's on my desk at all times, right there. Oh, I love that. Mr. Cutie with his Oklahoma shirt and his cowboy hat on to go to the beach. That was his favorite thing to do. He used to come out and visit us all the time for big chunks of time. And he loved it. He got to be like the, the king of California. I don't know how it came up that Stephen knew about your Uncle Bill. I don't either. It's funny. My husband asked me that. And I said, I don't remember. I mean, probably one of the many hours that we were sitting around yakking, you know? <laughs> well, we did We did have pictures on the ranch of, of families. And maybe it was we just started talking or maybe I overheard. Uh, we, you, did he ever come to the ranch, my uncle? No. Because he came to Grounded for Life. And I feel like he came to Rules of Engagement. He gave me new joy for just going to work. Because he walked into the studio um, where we shot Grounded for Life and it was on um, CBS Radford. And you know, like we walk into studios every day, like whatever, you drop your stuff, you go to craft service, you find the bathroom, whatever. It's like pretty normal. My uncle walked into this soundstage and literally like his arms were slapping his sides and he tips his head up. Cause I never think that the ceilings are like airplane hangers. He looks way up and he goes, oh, wow and he got tears in his eyes and every time I walk into a soundstage for the rest of my life I always think of him just his awe at how magnificent it was to him you know and it gave me it gives me appreciation every single time I walk into a stage because it, it is it's phenomenal like it's phenomenal that we work in a place like that we get desensitized I think yeah I think one of the gifts that we've definitely come to realize with Liam is just the presence and the the unfiltered. There's no they, like I may walk onto a soundstage and think, man, this is pretty amazing. But maybe I don't express it because uh, what will people think of me? You know what? There's that there's that thing that inhibits us in our life that I definitely noticed. That's the that's the thing that Liam has. He has like this unconditional unpretentious way about him. If you are upset and he sees it, he's not going to think, oh gosh, what's she going to say? Should I don't want to, he's going to go up to you and say, Megan, I'm right here. Are you okay? And it's beautiful. And I think it's something that I definitely learned from him to do more uh, because I see how it does affect and touch other people. And uh, it just, it reminds me, it reminds me to be present and just always, yeah, just be where I am. Right. Well, for sure. And I think with my uncle, I don't know if this is true with Liam, but it's like, if he gave you a compliment, it was a million percent from his heart. He would never give, he didn't know what a false compliment was. That didn't even occur to him. And when my, when my uncle's dad died, my grandfather, um, my uncle sort of transferred father to my dad and my parents had my grandmother and my uncle come live with them at that point. And at that time, I remember Bill said to my dad, he said, okay, Tom, you be my dad now. And my dad said, it's my honor, you and me, buddy. And 
so my dad sort of became his dad and and my dad died um 24 years ago this year and bill i remember that week i don't remember much from that week because it was really sudden but bill that week put his arm around me and he said okay you and me partner you and me we take care of joe that's my mom he said you and me we take care of joe now and that he he would say that to me i i can't count how many times he said that like now he knew what our, we have a job now it's the two of us and i have tons of brothers and sisters but bill and i always had that thing that was like we know what's up like we're the ones that are <laughs> We're aware, like we're the executive team. <laughs> what a great partner to have. And that was his word. He always, he called my little brother his partner and he always, um, this is so silly. And I didn't realize this until recently. I've only ever driven black cars. Since Bill said to me, you know, the good cars are black cars. The fast cars are black cars. Those are the best cars. And I always wanted to have a black car for when he came to visit. So he'd be excited to get in my car. I got a convertible because he always wanted to ride in a convertible. He does not live in California. Like I would get it just for his, you know, twice, three times a year visit. I would buy my car according to what Bill wanted, which is so funny. But he always, I would put him in the car and I'd go, all right, co-pilot, where are we going? And it was always Denny's. Denny's. Denny's fine. And I go, no, Bill, we can go to the beach. We can go wherever. He's like, no, Denny's. I like pancakes. It's fine. <laughs> he was so easy to please, too, and so grateful. Megan, did, has he passed? Has Bill passed? He did. He did. Um, just about six months before COVID started, he had been in hospice. Um, but he had a pacemaker when he had just turned 50. Um, it was bizarrely, like, it was almost like a cartoon. Like he was sitting and we were playing go fish and he literally just fell off the chair and we went, what? And we took him immediately to the hospital. He was like, Whoa, what happened? And it was like his heart and they put a pacemaker in and then he had no health problems for like 15 years. It was the most routine like medical procedure that should have been scary. And it was just like, oh, we fell off a chair. Okay, that's his heart. Okay, pacemaker, you're all good. And then we called him the $6 million man after that. And then, uh, and then he had a history of pneumonia. So that really was his, he just kept getting pneumonia. You know, it kept sort of beating him down a little bit, which is why we're, we're pretty grateful that he passed before all the COVID stuff happened because I don't know how I could reconcile that in my, in my head if, if I felt like that was, I don't know. He went very peacefully and he was very well taken care of. My mom took care of him his whole life and, and he definitely knew he was loved for sure. So when was he born? So he was born in 1958. I think he was born the same year as my sister. I think it was 58. Because I look at the the journeys of, you know, the just the way things have evolved with Down syndrome and just the society. And I feel like the community, now we have advocates, it's it's a word, and we're changing the perception. But I think about people who were born when your uncle was, and uh, we had Steve Gustafson on here, and I think his his, his sister, sister was, was a, a little older, right? She was yeah, born in the 50s. In and, 50s. and just... 
what was endured by family, just the challenges that they were up against. And I think that to me was definitely something I'd love to, to talk to you about because he was your uncle. So like, did you, were you aware of any of like the challenges or um, when you found out he had down, what down syndrome was or? Yeah, of course. And my, um, like I said, he was born the same year as my sister. So I have siblings um, that are a lot older than I am. So they really, they grew up next to him. Like he really was, cause he was born later than my mom, obviously. And um, they grew up with him, but I have always heard the stories of my grandmother because my grandmother was unbelievable. She was the kind of person who was always happy with whatever she got, which wasn't a lot. She was always satisfied. She was always okay with, with what was. Um, I heard a quote from like Thich Nhat Hanh and someone saying like, why are you so peaceful? And he said, I don't mind what happens. And that was my grandmother. She was not spiritual. She was not Thich Nhat Hanh, but she just didn't mind what happens. And with Bill, she literally just walked him into school and said, he's coming to school here. And they said, he can't come, you know, and at that place in time and the United States and everything, it was like, find an institution. And she said, he doesn't need an institution. He needs to learn how to write his letters. And they let him go to school for, I feel like it was kindergarten and first grade, maybe second grade. And then they let him do all of the extracurricular stuff because she said he was having a hard time. He wasn't particularly like, you know, I saw life goes on and I saw a lot of the um, Down syndrome portrayed in, you know, even in my childhood as way advanced. And Bill probably never really advanced like academically past five, six. So he could write his letters. But at that point, I think my grandmother started to feel like the negativity that he was getting at school was way bigger than the positivity. But when he would go and play sports and play basketball and do all the extracurricular stuff, all the kids were great. Well, I don't know all the kids were. The kids that he was friends with were great. You know, and they welcomed him in that way. But I think school started to get to a place they didn't have any accommodations whatsoever. They didn't have any way, you know, to help him out. And so he ended up doing a ton of stuff. And this is, I, I don't know, I just, I so credit her with this. Like before people talked about homeschooling or any of that kind of stuff, like she did all of that with him. He always had his big red chief notebooks and he would practice his letters and he would practice his writing and he was always doing all kinds of creative stuff. And he loved horses. So he always was involved with horses. They lived in Arizona um, when he was growing up. And, and she really was so unapologetic and so proud of him. And that's always how all of us were. I remember being a little kid at a place called Water World in Tucson, Arizona with all the water slides and all that stuff. And I think I must've been about maybe eight. And my little brother was six or seven. And that was Bill's favorite place, like to fly down these water slides. He loved to swim. He, that was his favorite thing. So we were waiting to go down the slide and some kids were in front of us and kept looking at him and looking at him and looking at him. And finally, one of them said, cut the line. You don't want to have to go after him. And I just, without thinking, punched the kid in the face. <laughs> I've never hit anybody you know, in my, that's not my thing. I was a sweet little good girl. And I, I, I would have killed him. I just would have killed that guy for being mean to my uncle. And cause Bill knew, you know, he was aware, 
when people would make fun of him. So we were his biggest protectors. My little brother loves the, the story that he was waiting one time for my dad to pick him up at his air force training. <laughs> and so my dad and Bill went to get my little brother at air force training. And my dad sent Bill in to go get Joseph. And so he walked in, you know, he's a, at that point, like a 55 year old man. And he walks in and says, uh, hi, I'm here for Joseph. And so then the Air Force guy goes, uh, Joseph, your dad's here. <laughs> and Joseph comes down. And he goes, my dad. And he sees Bill. And Bill goes, hello, it's me. And Joseph goes, awesome. And gives Bill a hug and never tells anyone in the Air Force group that that was his uncle. And they were so confused. They were just so confused. <laughs> I got to say, I credit the guy who just assumed that that was his dad. Yeah. I, I love so much about that story. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, but that's how he was in our family. He wasn't like our special needs uncle. Are you kidding me? No, he's the, he's the one everybody fought for at Christmas. Like, I want to sit next to Bill. I want to sit next to Bill. Rhinestone Cowboy was his favorite song. So he would always like play the guitar. He didn't really play the guitar. But it's the best stuff you've ever heard in your life because it was that presence that you talked about totally present in music he loved music like he just connected in a way that taught all of us how to connect you know that really was it and all my cousins say the same thing we were always grateful when we were around him he taught us how to be grateful because anything ice everything was the greatest thing he'd ever had a gift he was the best gift receiver in the world my favorite, everything was my favorite. Oh, thank you, my favorite, everything. <laughs> it's such a good thing for kids to grow up with. You know, we just, we grew up with that. Well, you sound like our 13 year old when <laughs> the, with the water world story, cause she is a defender, you know, she is, yeah. she, but, and she also, um, when you say it's great to grow up with that, that's, that's how we feel too. Cause there's, we see in the community, uh, or maybe people new to the community who have questions, wondering how is bringing a, a child with Down syndrome into, into a family, how is that going to affect other siblings? And we say it a lot when we have episodes about it, but it's, it's overwhelmingly a positive. Well, and I've heard that too. I mean, I heard that when my daughter was five and we were talking about having another baby and a doctor said that to me. She said, you know, well, you know, at that point, I think I was 38 or something. And she said, well, what if that happened? And would you want to put that on your daughter? And my husband was sitting next to me just like, uh-oh, uh-oh, lady, you really stepped in it. I said, put that on her? Put that on her? Give her that gift? Because that's what my uncle was. I remember my grandfather saying, my grandfather was not religious at all. He said, you know, Bill chose his body. He chose. And we were like, what, who would ever choose that, Grandpa? No one would ever choose that. And he said, the strongest souls choose that because they know we need the lesson. Mm. My biggest gift was my daughter meeting my uncle. You know, the way she was with him is, I mean, yeah. She has another cousin who has um, uh, SMA. It's a, it's a horrific, semi-rare disorder. And you know, he's really compromised. And the way that she is with anybody who is, has any kind of hard time at her school, there's some kids that have certain learning disabilities, like just the way she is. I don't know if she would be that way had she not grown up with Uncle Bill, 
You know, I didn't, I don't know that she'd be that understanding and that patient. She's not that patient with me, you know, but that is just, it's, it just becomes ingrained. I think there's such a magical, I, I know not all kids are the same, but I used to volunteer for Special Olympics. And a lot of the things that I would see in common were the total joy in the moment, the just the total unbridled joy in the moment, the total appreciation, these things that you can't teach. We try, you know, we try to teach our kids that, but I just feel like the example of that is, is what we all need, you know? To be honest, as a parent, those stereotypes, because they were, you know, they were, f- they were fed to us in, in just mass quantities. And also with the medical profession, we've done a few interviews with like people from the medical profession that fess up to the fact that that, that conversation needs to be different because the information that's given to, to mothers about Down syndrome, what that does uh, to anybody who's expectant with a child who has Down syndrome, it one, what it does to their pregnancy and the things that get that just get planted in their mind that are not based in reality and are not true. They're not a correct depiction of the life and the journey that I've had with my son. So what ha- what happened was we fought those stereotypes. And I know, you know, sometimes people say stuff and you're just like, oh, the way it's said just definitely comes from maybe not the nicest place. But then a lot of times it comes from a place that it's just a stereotype that's in society that just gets propagated, right? It comes from somewhere. And so when you say, you know, that I know not to say that they're special, or I know not to say this or that, I fought that for so long. And then one time I just, I, I was watching Liam and I'm like, I fought it so long that I almost denied how beautiful it is how beautiful that it's just presence. And it's not something that we, you, you can have it. You do have it, right? Cause of your uncle, your daughter has it. We have it because I think when, when we go through this narrow typical life and we have all of these things and challenges and we disconnect and something else happens, but we see it first, we feel the effects of it. And then when we actually went for me, I went, it's just because he's present. It's just because he, when he loves, it comes from a true, real place. It comes from a pure place that doesn't want anything, that isn't concerned about anything else but that love. And I love the way you just said that because I think the reason that I fight that is because in saying any sort of like all encompassing thing, it makes people with Down syndrome other. This is their special unicorn thing that they have. And what you're saying is exactly why I fight that, which is you can have it too. You can have it too. And I became so fascinated. I've never done drugs. I'm not a drug person, but I became so fascinated. Wasn't that a weird segue? With um, Michael Pollan's book about hallucinogenics. So he wrote this whole book. I can't remember what the name of it is. I read the whole dang thing, but it was about um, how, as a grown man, he decided to take this, uh, you know, medical grade psilocybin and be monitored. I don't know if you heard about this book, but he's a journalist, you know, and his conclusions were, it wipes away all of your preconceived everything. So, and I don't, I don't know if this is true for everybody who drops acid, but I'm just saying, the way that he did it sort of medically was to remove all of your baggage, 
And I remember when I was reading it, I thought, oh, that's like my uncle. That's like he was clean slate every day. He didn't have those assumptions about people. He just didn't have them. He would never judge anybody. And he couldn't, he couldn't lie. He couldn't lie. And he would never judge. And like you're saying, we're, we're culturalized and socialized to sort of be cool and kind of not, you know, and you, you have a, um, a sort of a track of you, you get in these little grooves. And I feel like my uncle Bill, they didn't, his group was just clean slate with everybody. And he just assumed he was going to like you. But shouldn't we all do that? And you you think about that he was a, a clean slate every time. I think that might be where the stereotype happened because people from the outside saw someone that was just happy and kind, someone who was just present and honest. And they're like, well, that's not... That's not real. That's like you that's have not to human. you have to have an extra chromosome in order to be there because that's not he must not get it if he's that happy. He must not get how gross the world is. But we can. The the thing is is we can. Yeah, my daughter's not neurotypical. I mean, she she's not down syndrome, but she has her own issues sometimes. But what I do see about her and and I really appreciate you saying that too like as as much as you fight the stereotypes you know, my daughter has no judgment. She doesn't have judgment of people. And one time I was driving her to school. It was one of those deals where like everybody stops and lets these people turn out. Well, this guy just was texting and not paying attention, literally slow rolled his giant truck into my car. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, please stop, please stop, please stop, please stop. Ah! And he's crunching our car. So we get out of the car. I feel terrible. We've like blocked Coldwater Canyon. It's a whole disaster. And nobody was hurt and it was fine. And he was horrified and we exchanged numbers. And so we're driving to school. And I said, I said, oh my God, we're going to have to tell people at school what happened. And she said, yeah, we are. We're going to tell them we met the nicest man. And she was right. We did meet the nicest man. You know, I mean, her perspective was like, that was great. Like, usually we just drive to school, but we met that super nice guy and he was really friendly. And, you know, it's that kind of stuff that you know, she reminds me of that too, that it's like. Well, that's what I feel that inclusion is. I don't just feel it. Inclusion is better for society. It makes us a full society. It makes us an empathetic, a sympathetic, a more, a full, real, loving society. And I think what happens is when, when we start to exclude different people because they're different, we miss out on that. We were picking Liam up from a school one day and we we came across this boy who used to go to his school and they were in a more they're in a special it's a special it's more of a specialized school yeah i think so and these kids were amazing they all had their own distinct style they all were cool present great conversations like i saw him and i was like hey how are you how's school how's what's going we had these great conversations and i said when people are picked out because they're different and society or school or the district doesn't want to support them and says, we can't do it here. And so they get filtered to other places. This is what people miss out on. I mean, you're missing out on the flavor of the, the color, the, the, the truth. Just and, and I think that when we segregate and, and push people out, the message that sends to somebody who is 100% at least appears neurotypical is 
don't be different, don't be individual. And then the, the effect on that child is what if they're dyslexic, but they, they don't have a word for it? What if they have feelings inside that they just feel so alone about? Like, what if they're gay? What if, right. what if whatever? I mean, everything, I am neurotypical, I think, I don't know. I'm not gay. I'm a white girl. Guess what? I still felt excluded. I mean, like kids don't feel a part of, like they just don't. And my, my daughter has gone to kind of a specialty twice exceptional school for the last three years. And she wants to go to public high school. She can go to public high school. And I had a conversation with a counselor. Oh my God. I had one conversation. Are you ready to fall over dead? I um, was applying for a school for her for seventh grade. And I had the head of admissions say to me, what this school needs is your daughter. And the girls at this school will eat her alive. Don't send her to this school. Oh. And I said, shame on you. Shame on you. I mean, really, you exclude my daughter, even though you said, I mean, she certainly can do the coursework. You know, she's quirky. She's, it's not like there's, that's so discriminatory. And to say that, the snotty kids at this school need a kid who's not like them, but they will eat her alive. I mean, she was saying it, she thought to be kind to me, but I just thought that's what's wrong. That's what is so wrong with education. And I'm so excited to send her to this gigantic public school here because I was talking to a counselor and she said, do you have any idea the quilt that we have going on at this school? She said, it is so fantastic and it's a great school and it's free and it's, it's every kid from everywhere. And when they were talking about um, accommodations, you know, for her, like maybe she does better if it's visual rather than audio or whatever, you know, whatever her little accommodation, she goes, oh my God, we already make all those accommodations because kids that are neurotypical sometimes need these. I mean, there's, it's just allowing a kid to be a kid. I just think when we were kids, it, you could just be a kid, you know, you, it was okay just to be a kid. And maybe it's turning back. I mean, there's, there's so much more inclusion now in certain scenarios. It's just, I, I think in the, in the private schools, especially it's, it's freakily homogeneous. I was walking with a mom once and, and we do like every kid counts at our school it's a week of inclusion. I'm like, it should be every week. It should be every day inclusion. And because really not only just, you, you know, reaching out to like inclusion, but I do have that long arm to, to just kids who want to just be kids. And, and like you said, have all these other things going on that they're intimidated to just be who they are. And I think every kid should be able to be who they are. And then we accept every kid. And, and if we keep like separating people out, that's what creates that fear to be individual, that fear to be yourself. Yeah. Well, my kid, I'm sorry, I'm talking about my kid all the time, but when she was super little, she taught herself to read when she was two. So everyone around us was like, mm, something, something, something weird's going on here. Like, this is not, and we're like, what are you talking about? She's just so fun. She's so great. And she is, she's hilarious. And she's all these amazing things. So they said, well, you should definitely interview at this highly gifted school, like for first grade. So we're like, okay, I mean, I guess, yeah, because her whatever IQ is like crazy. And she goes in for her interview for the first grade. She's five years old, right? She walks in and I think she really liked purple at that time or, you know, something. She, she always did her own outfits and they were bananas and they were wonderful. She would wear a skirt over a skirt 
Anyway, she walks up to the, to the admissions and they give her a name tag and she sticks right on her belly like that. And they said, oh, um, excuse me. We put our name tags right here. And she said, well, why would you put it there? Because my hair is going to cover it up. But here on my belly, you can really see it. And they said, because you need to follow the rules. And we were like, thank you. No, thanks. Like, this is not, no. Like a rule that you can't, whatever, hit another kid. Yes, that's a rule. A rule that you can't put your name tag on your belly. Why? Who cares? Why can't one kid have their name tag on the belly and the other one have it on their forehead? Who cares? That idea that like from age five, we're just gonna like have the same kid. Yeah, and squash all the individuality out. And that's no fun. It's no fun for anyone. It's no fun for society. It's no fun for what, what is that going to do? What does that create as we're, as we're moving up? Well, and plus the, the, the irony that a name tag is supposed to tell you about the person. Well, <laughs> if, you, if you put the name tag where you want it, doesn't that tell something about yourself? And you're right. It's like doubly ridiculous. And I thank God for the teachers, like the young teachers that see so much more. I, there was a teacher, I remember being very embarrassed that in preschool, my daughter didn't wanna, she wanted to do some stuff on her own and she would sort of go check out this and check out this, but she would choose to do stuff on her own. And this teacher, I remember, I was sort of like self-deprecating saying, oh, well, I don't know, maybe she doesn't wanna play with the other kids. And she goes, no, she's seen what they're playing. She doesn't wanna play with their playing. <laughs> it's so simple. And I'm so worried that she doesn't want to be, you know, part of this giant group. It's like, no, she just, she doesn't want to play with their play. Well, I think that happens sometimes. I know it's happened to us as parents, and I'm sure it happens to other parents out there where um, the message that we're talking about that gets sent to other kids when we don't have inclusion is the message that gets planted in the parents. So you can be the biggest advocate, and then you still have that, what Stephen and I realized, like every IEP, we go in apologetic. We go in like we're Oliver asking from, can we just have a, when it's the, it's the law. It's like people fought for that law to be passed, for those rights to be given. And we, and it just becomes this thing that then we begin to propagate. And it does take one person going, no, you're, you're fine. She just doesn't want to play. Like you would never think twice if, if you were someplace and everybody was doing something and you were just like, no, nah, I just, I'm, I don't want to play. But all of a sudden these messages have been sent to us so many times that we forget and we need to be reminded. Yeah, and to think that Bill's mom was there then, you know, like before. Before idea. Idea and 504s and IEPs and that. No, there was none of that. There was none of that. She just never treated him like he was less than exactly who he was. She never, ever, ever, my mom always said this. She never apologized for him. She was never ashamed. And my aunt, my great aunt, my grandmother's sister, she was a piece of work. Dot was her name. And she would always have a cigarette hanging out of here and a headband and a house dress on. And she, I mean, she was like your 13-year-old and me as an eight-year-old. It was like, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? Hey, turn around. What's up? It was just... So he always had like a whole tribe of women. <laughs> Megan, this is a sitcom that you should be I starring love it. in. Yeah. I know my aunt died. Oh my God. 
maybe because it was before, you know, it became a real conversation that just, just the same as that we're talking about Bill, just the same as with, as Liam, maybe it was just that being present and knowing, Hey man, what are you staring at? And this is my kid. I'm not, a, I'm not embarrassed by any of my kids. Like you're being rude. Right. What do I have to apologize for? Like she had a really choice phrase, but I won't, I won't share it here in family, family podcast land. <laughs> no, I love it because we've been in the grocery store and people like we stopped going to the park. We just stopped going to the park because of things. And we've been in grocery stores too, where people come up and then you like, for me, I always thought I've got to say the right thing. I've got to, and, and we might need a little more dot in us. Maybe we need a little more dot because you're just like, you're just trying to buy like some frozen peas and people come up and say stuff to you that you go, what? What do I say? How, like, how do I react to that? Like, because rule number one is like personal space. Maybe and you're a total you, stranger. Then you end up going places where you're prepared for these questions, right? And that's not a good place to that's be where you're just way. going to, you know, a store or, or just to pick up you know, at the post office or something, and you're just prepared for, okay, what do I say if this, or how do I maneuver away from someone that may be approaching? And, and that's, that's That's no fun. We need to get, yeah, we need to get back to the place of, I think it's inclusion and acceptance, right? We just need to get back to like, you be you, I'm going to be me. And we're, we're all great and connected and let's just gel like that. Well, and I think also what you're describing is what it's like to be on TV it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. And my mom, well, I'll just tell you that I've had people walk up to me and like touch me and, you know, talk to me and, oh, I love you. Or what, and I'm sure they do like when you're pregnant and people can put their hands on your belly and all of that stuff is just people. My husband is always going, um, they think they're being nice when someone will go, you're so much prettier in person than you are on TV. You look so much younger and thinner in person than you do. What? <laughs> like, and my husband's always like, they think they're complimenting you. And they say something about your child and you're like, ah. they think they're saying something nice or they're saying something supportive or, and it's always weird. Like, it's just always weird. My mom used to say, or this is the thing she said, she has dementia now, poor thing. But she would say, if there was any family with a child with Down syndrome, my mom couldn't help herself because she loved her brother so much. And she would say to the parents, my brother could be your daughter's twin. That was her code language. So that it was like you would get that she got it, like in this way. And I don't know how parents felt about it. I have no idea. But that was the only way my mom could be like, I'm with you, like in such a good way. Like it's he's the joy of my life. And that's what she would say. It's like, my brother could be your son's twin. It's funny. There is a code. It is definitely a code word because it's almost like, you know, that maybe this might be taken wrong. Right. But it's, you're just like, like it's a handshake. It's like a, you know, it's, it's like a secret handshake and there's been different, there's been, um, we had, had a, a, a younger lady, maybe in her twenties come up and just say, my brother is down syndrome and he is the closest thing to me. And I, and I love him more than anything. Do, what's his name? And I said, Liam, does he have a sibling? And I said, yes. And, and, and she just said, she's lucky, luckiest girl in the world and walked away. That's not as much a code word. No, <laughs> it's not. more of a beautiful conversation. Yeah, that's a great, that's, but that's where we should be. We should, we should feel comfortable saying that you're absolutely right. And, but then I feel like some people who may have experienced more of that, like 
aggressive kind of stuff, you know, they do feel like they, you need to have, I just want you to know that I understand. And like, it's like a societal thing. And when I'm talking about being on TV, it's because I'm different. That's why. So then I'm different than that person who's not on TV. And I have a really good friend who is non-binary. She's gay. She shaves her head. She has hairy armpits, all these things. I don't ever think twice about it. She tells me when she was in an RV, like camping around with her wife, there were people who would literally see them turn away and not talk to them. And I'm like, what? She's not like an angry person. They would look at her and say, you're different than I am. And they would walk away. And my jaw hit the ground. And she's like, oh, what? She goes, oh yeah, if I'm in a hot tub, like, and it's a thing. She's like, there's some people who just won't even go in the hot tub. And she was sort of laughing in this kind of nervous way. And I said, that's not funny. But I think that is it. And maybe that's sort of a human, an animal thing. Like you're different. So that's novel. But anymore, I'm kind of in your camp. Like what's not different? Like what's normal? Normal is what? what? Anything. When you were talking about you, you hope it gets better. I think one thing that just came in... I- I always say, I think I got to stop that. I'm sorry. I'll edit it out. But one thing, I'll, I'll take all my, I think so. Way better than sort of. That's my new pet peeve. Sort of. <laughs> no, it is that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, one thing I noticed that for the last couple of years, like millennials were really getting the, the fuzzy end of the lollipop. And one thing that came to mind that I was always hearing is was about the emotion or about their standing up or complaining. And I thought, that's not a bad thing. They're saying, uh, guys, this is wrong. What you're doing is, this is wrong. We accept everyone. Everyone has a right. Everyone has a voice. Everyone should be here. There's no normal. It's just each individual. And and I've kind of, I've no, I've not kind of, <laughs> or sort of, I've embraced the millennial, this new generation. And I'm so happy for society, for Sophia and the society that's, the changes that are happening and like her generation, cause she's the same age as your daughter, what they're doing, what they're creating, how the, they think the, the voices they have. So my friend who I was talking about, the group, she says, Oh, I want to talk to your daughter because there's a thing about parasitic wasps that I think she'll just love. So they get on FaceTime yesterday and my daughter goes in the other room because now she needs privacy with my friend, you know, my grown friend. So they're chatting, chatting, chatting. Later on, she comes out. Again, she's 13 years old. She's turning 14, right? She comes out. We're getting ready to watch Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs. And somehow I like reference my friend and my friend's wife. And I said, oh yeah, that's her wife. You know, she's gay, right? And she goes, yeah, she told me. I support her unconditionally. Why would that even be a thing? I support her unconditionally. Why would that even be a thing? Isn't that lovely? Yeah. And from the time she's born, she talks about the color of people's skin. Oh, he has brown skin. He has peach skin. He has this skin. She didn't, and I'm talking before she, you know, when she was itty bitty. It was just that. It was like, oh, she has, I remember she walked up to Whoopi Goldberg at the Beverly Hills Hotel. She loved Whoopi Goldberg so much from some Sesame Street stuff. She like left our little table and walked over and she was four years old. She stood in front of Whoopi Goldberg and she goes, hi, Whoopi. And Whoopi was like, well, hi. And she said, I love you, Whoopi. You have the most beautiful skin I've ever seen. I was like, that, I mean, Whoopi was so sweet to her. But I remember being like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, my child. Like, no, you're t-. It was just like, yeah, 
I don't know that that whole thing. I I'm I'm very glad about that for my kid, but it isn't it isn't the case everywhere, and that's what's always shocking to me is just seeing a lot of um, exclusion popping up in really loud, angry ways is frightening to me. It's frightening. I feel like that set off, uh, hopefully, a an alarm in people to understand that if we do have a society that's non-inclusive and judgmental and puts people in boxes, this is what happens because that that is only born from fear and anger. And now you can look at someone and go, hey, Megan has blonde hair. I I, that's so different. I love I love your hair. It's like I can acknowledge the differences that we have and then learn about them. That's different than saying Megan has blonde hair and I'm going to put her in this box and this is how I feel because that hair, you know, it's it's different. I feel like our mantra on my my sisters and my friends and I say with my daughter all the time whenever you're in fear, the antidote to fear is curiosity. That is the absolute magic bullet to fear. If if I don't know what my next job is going to be, that's scary. If I get curious about what my next job is going to be, then it's exciting. Then there's hope. It's coming. Or it isn't, and I'm going to do something else. You know what I mean? I don't know. Right. But I'm curious about what's coming next. I have no idea. My husband is out in the garage right. He's an ER doctor. And for his stress, he's currently building a table with no screws in it, with just like mortise and tenon, because he wants to learn how to do it. Okay, that's awesome. That's curiosity. I can't imagine what his last year has been. Oh yeah, that's a whole nother podcast. Wow, that's a that's a. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been rough for everybody. It's been a wacky time, but I do like what you pointed out too, because I think all of the negativity and the fear and all that has made a hyper awareness. Well, I think it's again it's again that like oh, bringing it back around is I see Liam's unconditional love and presence. And I learned from that, like, that's possible. That's a good lesson. But then we see what hate and anger, and that's a different lesson, you know, where, and it's through seeing it, like you can, and you can make a choice. Like this is what, where that love and inclusion brings us. And this is what that hate and judgment, that's, that's where that leads us. And I think that in both situations, we have the ability to learn and then make new choices. Well, and I think I always just want to ask, how do you feel at the end of the day? Like, how do you feel having acted out angrily or acted? How do you feel? Do you feel good at the end of the day? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, I, I, I don't think, you know, I remember one time when I was little and I got mad at someone and, and, I, and I hit someone who was saying horrible, horrible things to me. And I carried that around with me for so, I felt so horrible for hurting another person, regardless of the fact that that person definitely was not being very kind at all. I, I hurt from hurting someone else. I can't be, it can't feel anything else but that, you know, maybe underneath a bunch of stuff, you don't feel it anymore, but I can't believe that hurting someone else would feel anything other than pretty crappy. Well, I did something in the fifth grade that I, I told my daughter about the other, well, it was last summer because we were in um, Oklahoma where I grew up and we went up in my mom's attic and we found my, my diary from when I was younger. And it just, I sort of started remembering these things that had happened. And um, 
And there was a girl in my fifth grade class and her name was Julie Wilson. And she was nerdy as was I, but whatever. I was trying to be cool and fit in with some other kids. And I drew some horrible picture of this girl like with like ogre, whatever, warts on her face and big old glasses and whatever. And I wrote some like bubble that said like, I'm Julie and blah, blah, something about Julie, you know, smelling bad or, you know, something just mean. And she saw it and I didn't get in trouble. And I went home and I remember just sobbing and going to my dad and saying, I drew this picture of this girl and I don't even know why I did it. And I thought these other girls would think I was cool. I don't know what I thought. And I feel so terrible. I think I'm going to throw up and I don't know what to do. And he said, well, go get the phone book, honey. I guess you know what you have to do. And as I said, her last name was Wilson. Pretty common. I called every Wilson in the phone book, asking them if they had a daughter named Julie until I found the one that was her. It makes me cry now because I felt so terrible that this little girl had gone home. But like me, I'm gonna be the one that's like the mean kid. I'm not the mean kid. And I apologized to her and I said, I was so sorry. And I, I, uh, I don't remember much else about it, but I just remember feeling like that kind of unsolicited, just meanness, it made me feel so terrible. I still feel terrible about it. I still feel terrible about it, you know? And I never did it again. I never did it again. How much of that um, just awareness of hurting someone else and what that was, do you think was derived from having Bill? Yeah, because it was, I didn't do that. We were, my brothers and sisters and I, we did not do that. If anything, we were the opposite. Like the person that needs to be stuck up for, we always stuck up for underdogs, always. And that's why it was so out of character. It was so not, was so not me. Um, Cause I think we always grew up sticking up for him, always. And my mom was very heavy when I was growing up and I remember sticking up for her too. Like, you know, just back off, man. You know, cause people are just mean. People can just be so mean. And I think that's, I mean, who knows? That's, that's part of, um, Part of what you just, I don't, you don't know where it came from, but you just carry it with you. So did it come from my uncle? For sure. I mean, yeah, for sure. But it's, it's so ingrained and my daughter has it too. You know, she has it from having been a little kid with him too. He was, oh God, it's my favorite, my favorite photos are him with her, you know, and she was a little baby. Well, when Liam was born, we, and we were sending him to school one of the, we knew that Steve was Steven because he's more of the statistic person. He was like, this is how many children have Down syndrome. Where are all the kids with Down syndrome? We, Liam was the one of four kids who had Down syndrome that went to the school he goes to. The school's been open for a hundred years and the other three kids were basically in the school at the same time. So for how many years there was never a child with Down syndrome in that school. He had a teacher that had 35 years, 35 under years her belt. that had never had, never had a child with Down syndrome. And, um, like how is that possible just statistics wise? Like where are the kids? Not, not in a not typical an inclusive classroom, classroom yeah. not on curriculum, not an, and, and one of the things, because when we were talking about you and Bill, I guess about a year ago, and I just was, I was so interested to, I wanted to hear what your journey was because, you know, obviously Sophia has a brother and I just, I wanted, I wanted to know what that relationship, how that formed you and molded you. And, 
uh, the impact and, you know, society and, and, you know, watching your grandmother be an advocate and, and all of those things. I'm so interested in, you know, what Bill's life was and how it changed over the duration of his life, even, you know, as far as more acceptance or having more of a voice and self advocating. But mostly this morning, I told Stephen, I want to celebrate Bill. I want to celebrate his story. And, you know, because his impact, his impact and, and who he is. The way that it comes back to me all the time, all the time is when I'm home because random people will come up to me and say, I knew your uncle because my uncle worked at um, University of Oklahoma in the cafeteria. So there was a program that had been started for a while and he would go bust the tables and he would get no work done because he would sit down and chat and everyone wanted him to be with them. And, you know, he'd have a Coke and hang out with these people for a while. All those kids that went to school became his buddies and I will see them around town. And they know me because I'm on TV, whatever. They know that he was my uncle and he was always bragging about me. And people, random people will come up to me and go, I knew Bill, how is he? And every person, if I have to say that he passed away, they burst into tears. Um, and all my friends grew up with him, you know, all my friends grew up with my uncle, my, my best friend, Ginger, from the time I was seven. I mean, she made a special trip to see him, you know, when he was in the hospice, it's like he, he made an impact on everyone who ever knew him because it, you couldn't, this is what's so crazy that Ginger used to say, you can never be sad when you're around Bill. You just can't, you can't be sad. And when he was sad, it was almost unbearable, you know, when something, it, it was almost unbearable. But I think that um, his presence made everything lighter, everything better. It just, everybody got out of their own head. You know, it was, it was, we were always in the moment and I, I just freaking hate holidays now, all holidays, because he loved every holiday. And no matter where I was, no matter what was going on, I would forget to get my husband a Valentine's card, but I was sending a care package to Bill because he loved every single holiday. It was just a new reason to decorate his room, to have a new thing, to wear a different hat, to sing a different song, to do it. Every holiday was his favorite holiday. He loved Easter. He loved everything. And it, I mean, I think that's, I shouldn't say I hate holidays. It's, you know, it's just hard. Those are, it's hard. Well, he loved life. He loved everything about life. Yes, everything about, and he loved food. <laughs> he loved food so much. <laughs> it was always his favorite. And if he didn't like it, his response was, oh, yuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's still very much in all of our lives. And his memorial that we did, um, I'm telling you that people flew, everyone in my family flew from everywhere, everywhere to come to his memorial everywhere. I mean, my cousin was in China and came back for his memorial. It wasn't, we didn't have a funeral. We had a huge party. And my, my cousin made this giant slideshow that we had all sent pictures for him. And we made this huge meal that ended up lasting seven hours or something. And we all sat in this giant, we had to rent a banquet room. And everybody just took a microphone and told stories about Bill for, Hours, hours and hours and hours and hours. 
of just all these different Bill stories. And we all had certain things that our kids say, like we don't say, I love you. We say, I love you. Cause that's like, that's Bill. I love you. And we just, we will text each other. I love you, everybody. You know, it's like, there's so many things that still, you know, they're just still in our family and, and he's so still a part of us. And that's what was astounding to me about my cousins and cousins I hadn't even met who, you know, their kids talk about Bill and it's their friends and their kids' friends. And he was just such a force of nature. And I do agree with my grandfather. I mean, I agree that only the strongest souls choose to have Down syndrome because it's a harder life for them in our opinion. But I, I don't know that it felt hard for my uncle. I don't think that he felt like he had a hard life. He loved his life. He loved his family. He loved strangers. He loved his life. He didn't feel like he got dealt a raw deal. He didn't. And when people would feel sorry for him, it was confusing to me. Why do you feel sorry for him? You know, he didn't, he's not a, do you want a pity for him? That didn't make any sense to me. You know, I think that my life, <clears throat> I don't think that I know that my life and uh, my family's lives and my daughter's life would be greatly diminished without having had him. As parents of Liam, I think that what you were just saying as far as how other people may view him with pity or as less than or some of those negative things. Most people just love him. Some people love him, but then you know, kind of have a different expectation on him than, than we know he's, what his ability is. And I know that maybe being up against those things sometimes, I may think, because those maybe are important to me, I may fear that they will make his life challenging or less than. But I think the reality and hearing of your uncle, I think that's the reality, you know, and a life that's loved and a life that, that brings love and is lived full, full of the things that are so important, full of all these gifts for humanity, all these gifts, every life that Bill touched every person who was able to have a conversation with him that may not have known what Down syndrome was, that may have had a perception or a belief until they met him, was able to see so many possibilities, whether it just be, wow, what a light. How do you get that light? I can have that light. Or he's so he's able which to me is you know when people they don't ex there's there's like a, a lack of expectation there to go I was wrong about what down syndrome is and not everybody gets to have that impact on the world not everybody gets to to change the world in that way um, and it's exponential I think that it's love and I think that it's really what the world needs and so when I think of Liam, this conversation has planted some really freeing and opening seeds 
that maybe I won't worry as much because I know the one thing that he does have is that he's him and who he is. That's, that's his, that's his gift and it's a gift to the world. So the other things that we advocate for and fight for, I think they're for him, maybe more for us. I think that what the world needs is what Liam gives. And what Bill gave. Well, and I think that there's a, the part that you said, like when you said his, his gift is him, I just think about in terms of how much I work with my daughter on self-esteem and how much, I mean, I work on self-esteem. We all work on self-esteem. My uncle didn't work on self-esteem. He knew who he was. He never thought for one second that he should be different. Not for one second. But, you know, my mom did a lot of the things it sounds like you do. And my mom would, and if you figure out how to not worry about your kid, let me know what that is. Cause <laughs> I, I, I don't have <laughs> that's some kind of magic well that you found me figure that one out. But my mom used to say, it breaks my heart when Bill says he's going to grow up and get an apartment one day. And I said, but mom, it doesn't break his heart. It doesn't break his heart. He's not sad. He doesn't have that now. He loves drawing pictures of his apartment. He doesn't have regret. My uncle never had regret. He just didn't have it. When you would walk in it, this is what my cousin Elise and I said when we got together to talk about Bill. She said, my self-esteem has taken such a hit because no one will ever love me as much as Bill loved me. Mm. I love my husband and I love my child, but I will never have anyone light up like the 4th of July when I walk into a room and say, I'm happy to see you. I'll never have anyone light up like that. I won't. Yeah. And he would call me beautiful girl. You know, that was just always my beautiful girl. So, um, yeah, I feel lucky. And I feel so, so grateful to have my uncle. And my sisters all knew that I was going to come do this with you guys. And they said, can we do it? Can we do it too? And I said, I'll, I'll try to say everything for all of us. We can have a bill series. I know. You'll have too many people. Do you know how big my family is? Oh my God. I love that because honestly, I, I, um, the, the demographic is this small tiny demographic that's what we've become but it's like this beautiful gift where your family and the people that bill touched is this it's this huge like yeah and i was doing this thing my dad was in world war ii and and you know of course there are all these crazy stories of my dad and like he was in the battle of the bulge and he almost died a hundred million times and i was writing this thing and my brother and i went to belgium and saw where my dad was and i said you know when you think about it i have this vision of this enormous football field of people that wouldn't be on this earth had my dad not survived and trusted his, trusted his instincts and had courage and all these kinds of things. And it, it would be a football field full of people. And now when I'm thinking about the number of people that my uncle affected, it would be three football fields. Because for every person that he physically interacted with, that person told somebody about it. When he's a little mini celebrity in Norman, Oklahoma. Like people knew him. When I was in high school, I'd get stopped at the mall. Someone would go, oh, I saw your uncle at OU. I'd get, you know, it, it, people knew him because he was, yeah. And all the people 
that are changed and that have a good day because they ran into them. I mean, that's a big thing. It's not a small thing. No, the world needs more of it. The world definitely needs more of that. And, and it I, dominoes. It completely dominoes, right? And it's, I think that's what people don't get. That's not, that's not the face we see when people talk about Down syndrome. That's not what the doctors think when they go to expected moms. That's not what the school system feels when they're sitting across from you saying they'd be better someplace else. That's, that's not, but that is the truth, right? That's the reality. And I don't know where the rest of it came from. Maybe like a convenience somewhere a long time ago. Um, but the but truth is what you've been talking about. The truth is... Your Uncle Bill mm-hmm. and, and all the Uncle Bills and Liam's and these beautiful people that are out there. But it really transfers across the board. And that's the other thing that I feel is like finding the kids that my daughter is friends with who are all manner of flavor, their own, you know, brand of cereal. And some kid who someone says he has X, Y, Z, whatever he has. Do you know how much fun that kid is to talk to? Do you know how much that kid loves to cook and wants to come over and have a plate just because he wants to cook with me? Like, what does it have to do with whatever is different about that kid? Like, yeah, what's different? I love people who, are, who do I like that is middle of the road? I, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in somebody who is, as my sister says, a paste eater. <laughs> That's her favorite term for kids that are like middle of the road. But there's a great book called Differently Wired. Um, have you read this book? There's, I'm sure you've read every book. I read every book that exists about kids and everything. But that idea that it's just differently wired, it's not worse. It's not weird. It's not an outlier. And we're all differently wired. I'm differently wired than my husband in so many ways, let me tell you. You two are differently wired. We're all differently wired. That's what makes it great. Of course. That's what's great. I feel so honored to have learned about your Uncle Bill. And then on a more personal note, it does bring a little lightness to my heart, you know, just to, I don't know, it's a clarity because we get, we get caught up in the challenges. Yes. Thank you for that. Because that really is a reminder, you know, that like, no, whatever, whatever your kid's thing is that makes them different, it makes them different in tons and millions of great, incredibly great ways, hilarious ways or fun ways or odd ways. You know, my favorite thing is to say it's never boring around here. It's never boring. There's a giant paper mache head being made in there of Rick and Morty, which I do not appreciate. My husband has introduced my daughter to some crazy cartoon, but you know, she's taken her little brain and she's making a paper mache. Okay. I love it. Let's celebrate that, right? I think kids feel like that's what they have to do because it's safe. And I think that's really the, that's really the side effect of a non-inclusive environment. Because if, if I'm different, that's what different, that's how it gets treated. But you know, the truth is in the real world, there's probably not one person they admire that wasn't considered different because the, those are the people that go out and change the world, right? Those are the people who have their, their individuality and their creativeness and artistic, and it hasn't been snuffed out and they've made it through the fire intact. How are you going to push boundaries and, and find new spaces? Yeah. If you're just sitting in the same one. As I look at my daughter going into high school and I've tried to like move all the chess pieces so that, you know, she's not going to see this is going to be easier for her and this isn't going to be hard for her and we're going to walk the path and go. 
And then one of my girlfriends said to me, who are you friends with who hasn't gone through pain? And I go, what? And she said, she's gonna, she's gonna go through pain and it's gonna make her who she is. They're gonna get hurt. And it, it's so hard for me to accept, but when you think about it, all my favorite people are, I mean, my husband and I went to high school together. He pointed out at our reunion, all my nerd friends who did not fit in at all, he was cool in high school, I was not. The only people that we hang out with now are my friends because they are the ones who, as we say, didn't peak too early. <laughs> but they're the ones who did things differently, who do things in a different way. A girl that we went to high school with, I forgot this until just now, a girl that we went to high school with knew my uncle in, at the University of Oklahoma when she was a freshman. She found out that he was my uncle. She immediately changed her major because she loved hanging out with him so much and she runs an entire special education program in Oklahoma now. And every time we see her, she always says, you know, it's Bill, you know, it was your uncle. You know, it was your uncle. Like that's, that's the effect, you know, of somebody who's wired a little different. And that's the message we need kids to understand. That's the new message that they need to hear is that that difference changes the world. Being different is, is growth or the inventors or the creators and everybody's different. So you, you get to, everybody can be an inventor. Everybody can be a creator. Everybody can do that. And, and I think that's just what kids need to know. Let's celebrate our life, every single life. And those lives that people try to tell us aren't worth as much or look down on in, with whatever perception they have, they, the, those words don't matter. It's the, cause, because the reality of it is, is your Uncle Bill, is the, is the love that gets put in the world, you know? And I'll leave you with a lovely little Bill story because I was thinking, is there one that I should tell you that's just so good? My dad said to my uncle, you know what, Billy boy, we're both getting a little chubby. I think tomorrow we should fast. And Bill goes, all right, I love fast food. <laughs> what a wonderful way to see life. What, what, I love that. Megan, thank you so much for joining us for the podcast today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It has been literally the most fun afternoon I've had in COVID. <laughs> Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod. And you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod. Or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Oh,